With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love Talk Radio. through today, just so everybody knows, I have a cold, uh, it's not COVID, it's just a standard cold, caught it from Crystal's little one, um, so if uh, I sound a little off today, if I'm a little, little coffee, <clears throat> a little congested, that is why, but we're working on it, we're working on it, I, th- I hope I'm on the, uh, the better side of the curve, so anyway, uh, one gonna let a little cold prevent me from dropping some knowledge directly into your cranium, which is my job. Okay, so today, what do I have for you? Well, I'm happy you asked, because I have a whole bunch for you. Um, average Russians are gonna react to Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Just got some great video from now. This, uh, the U.S. and Venezuela are starting to play footsie with each other. Uh, an Irish politician just went inski on the West over the double standard that we have when it comes to different foreign governments and human rights abuses. Um, and then later on in the show, I do have non-Ukraine uh, stuff today. Hillary Clinton answers if she's running again. We got South Korea and North Korea uh, having a wee bit of a close call, if I don't say so myself. They're trying to shove everybody back into the office and end remote work and uh, much more. 
Oh, and the other thing is, I um, I have a story on the Russian Orthodox Church and what they're saying about Putin's invasion of Ukraine, and it is something else, man. You are not going to want to miss that story, so sit back, relax. It's serious stuff today, but it's also interesting, so let's go ahead and get started. Now this decided to reach out to average Russians and get them to react to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, I find this very interesting for a number of reasons. First of all, I don't even know exactly how they got the footage. They were taking a risk even recording regular people on the street because the fact of the matter is there's been a colossal crackdown uh, on so-called fake news in Russia where they're punishing people with up to three years in prison and five years in prison and 15 years in prison if you, you know, question what Russia is doing. A lot, all the independent media outlets uh, have been shut down. And then, of course, there's a similar thing happening in the West that we've talked about where um, there's been sort of a purge of the, the pro-Russian government perspective. So, but this gives you a little bit of insight into just what average Russians are thinking. Now, I don't know if this video was recorded before or after you had, like, every sanction under the sun unleashed on the Russian economy. But nonetheless, let's go ahead and take a look, and then I'll react. I support Putin. I support Putin. I won't look at the photos. No one is bombing Kiev. I don't believe it. Let me go back there. Hold on. Somebody says, screw him. Wait, let me get that right. It's all on Zelensky and the Americans. I'm trying to write these down because obviously it's in Russian. <laughs> it's all on Zelensky and the Americans. <clears throat> I'm writing down all the different responses here. I'd rather abstain. I'm for peace. I don't want war. So the guy doesn't want to say anything because he doesn't want to get in trouble. This person is just explaining what's happening. Like a lot of countries that used to work with us aren't working with us anymore. It's a preventative blow. This person's like, look, he's smart, we have no impact on this anyway. This person's conflicted. Yeah, 
That was fascinating. You got answers all over the map there. Um, that last one I find particularly interesting because she's giving like every answer at once. So she says, look, I think Putin's a smart guy, um, but what does it even really matter? What I think, because I have no impact on it anyway. So there's like a little bit of a, yeah, I support him, but do I, re- do I really live in a country where my opinion even matters? And then she's like, I don't like this situation either. I don't think that we'll like it. It's going to drain our pockets. I'm reading it as I talk to you guys now. Um, I understand the sanctions. There's going to be inflation and unemployment, but it's probably the way it should be. So that last one, like the last one gives you a little bit of everything, but, you know, I I almost wonder if the commentary would change if it was, um, if they didn't have laws that are now on the books there that are like, hey, you can get three years or five years or 15 years in prison if you, like, undermine the troops or whatever. We covered uh, the specific language on the show the other day. But you got the ultra-nationalists who basically drink the uh, Russian Fox News equivalent propaganda, and then you have, you know, the people who are nominally more dovish and don't believe the propaganda and have more of a contrarian reaction to a news media that's pushing for war. So the first person was like, I support Putin. I don't even want to look at your pictures. Like they were trying to show, hey, here's pictures of Ukraine where everybody's getting bombed and here are the results. And she's like, I'm not going to look at your pictures. I'm not going to look at them because I support Putin in whatever he does. I mean, that almost reminds, I mean, keep it real. That reminds me of like, you know, videos, you, if you go to a Trump rally and you talk to them and, you know, you ask them a question. I support Trump in everything he does. And whatever he does, I support him. But that's what that reminds me of. Um, one person said, nobody's bombing Keith. I don't believe it. Nobody's bombing Keith. Uh, another one said, you, I saw a little bit of a generational divide, too. Like, the younger they are, the more they're against the war. But there was one older lady who was like, 500 people died. 500 of our soldiers, she's talking about, Russian soldiers died. And then she said, for what? And then she very flippantly said, to hell with him, talking about Putin. So at least one older person um, is not uh, believing the propaganda. And I, I, by the way, I think it's sort of, it really is a generational thing, not just in Russia. I think there's a generational thing in general. Because you see this in the U.S. too. The older generation um, is much more likely to be authoritarian. And so they kind of believe the establishment figures more. They kind of believe mainstream media more. And so that's why most of the older people there were like, uh, you know, what are we supposed to do? Like, we're doing what we have to do, essentially, because they're listening to what they're saying on the news and they buy it. Uh, whereas younger people are much more likely to be contrarian and think, like, I'm going to question the narrative. So that's the case in Russia. That's the case here and probably in many other places as well. And then you have uh, one older guy saying it's all on Zelensky and the Americans. Amazing. Um, I'd rather abstain. I'm for peace, not war. That's what a young person said. And then somebody said, it's a preventative blow. Like, what can we do? More of like a middle-aged, leaning to slightly older uh, woman said, look, it's a preventative blow. Like, what are we supposed to do? I mean, it just goes to show you the diversity of opinion. Um, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising to anybody, but it should show you the diversity of opinion. And it's yet another um, good example of like, Probably not a good idea to levy every single sanction possible against them. 
because a lot of these sanctions are going to hurt regular people. And, I mean, you just saw, I don't know what the breakdown was, 60-40, 50-50, something like that, but a lot of those people are really not for what's happening there. And some of them are on the fence, and you get the sense maybe if it wasn't so authoritarian over there right now, they might be more against it. So those people are innocent, and they do not deserve to bear the brunt of the actions of a criminal imperialist invasion led by Putin. I, I've, made this, I've given this example before, but if during the illegal Iraq war, the rest of the world levied sanctions on Bush, Cheney, Rumsfeld, Condoleezza Rice, etc., I'd be like, right on, I get it. Uh, but if they started levying sanctions where my mom couldn't go to the bank and take out a couple hundred bucks, well, then now all of a sudden I'm like, wait, 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 I don't have anything to do with this. And look, in a situation like that, usually the dynamic, we're 0 for 9 on these crippling sanctions leading to some sort of forced regime change, right? And so what happens usually is when you are sort of under attack, even when it comes to sanctions by a foreign government, all of a sudden you actually start falling in line behind your leader and you don't blame the leader. You start blaming whoever's levying the sanctions. And so it's actually a way to make Putin more popular, to levy the sanctions against average Russians. And we've gone over, I mean, every, go back and watch every single breaking news video we've done uh, on this conflict. Now we're at the point where the U.S. is totally banning Russian oil and natural gas and coal from getting in here. Now, uh, it only makes up about 8% of our energy market. Uh, but, you know, now we have Europe promising that by 2030 they're going to be off of it. They say within a pretty short time period they're going to get off two-thirds of their natural gas. And that has far-reaching consequences, man. That is, that is imploding the Russian economy. Now, you might say good, but I think good is a very flippant reaction, again, when we're not dealing with um, just hurting Putin and the oligarchs. I'm all for levying sanctions on Putin and the oligarchs. This goes way above and beyond that. But, I, look, I found this video fascinating. Uh, you got opinions that are all over the map. And I'm sure, by the way, some of these opinions... If you kept talking to more Russians, some would be way more hawkish. Some would be like, you should press the nuclear button. But I'm also sure there's others that would be way more in the other direction, where they're like, we should do anything and everything to uh, achieve peace. And what's going on right now is totally and utterly unacceptable. So there you have it. I would have been more interested in the question, um, why exactly do you think this is happening? Why exactly is Putin invading Ukraine? Because then you probably would have gotten some mind-blowing answers. I think some people would have just flat out said it's purely defensive. Like, it's purely defensive. Uh, you know, NATO was coming after us, and they were going to attack us, so he's just protecting us. I'm sure some people would say that. I'm sure some people believe the idea of it's just to do denazification. Like, all we're doing is killing Nazis. I don't see the problem is here, although we all agree that that's a good thing. I'm sure some people believe that. I'm sure some people um, would say he wants to resurrect the Russian Empire, and that's why he's doing it. I'm sure some people would say, hey, they just found a lot of gas in Ukraine, a lot of natural gas in Crimea. Then he took it. Natural gas on, in uh, the eastern portion of the country, we're occupying that invading now the western portion of the country where there's natural gas as well. Maybe the natural gas has something to do with it. So I'm sure you get every answer imaginable. Um, but what, what would be the most rare is somebody who gives all of those answers and says, hey, maybe to differing degrees, maybe those are all factors. But I think that's probably um, the most correct take. I think all those things are, 
are true. And by the way, I'll plug this video one more time in case any of you are still questioning, like, hey, exactly why is this going down? Like, what's, what's the purpose? Watch the video from Real Life Lore, a, a channel called Real Life Lore on YouTube. Um, it's about Russia and Ukraine. It dropped maybe, I don't know, a week, week or so ago. It's got like over 12 million views last time I saw, which was a few days ago. It's probably way over that now. And uh, it is the most thorough video I've ever seen explaining exactly how we got to where we are, why Putin is invading, so on and so forth. It really accounts for all the different factors. I mean, he tries his best to take out any sort of political bias that he may have. And um, it just strikes me as a very objective retelling of the way everything unfolded. So anyway, um, there you have it. Answers from average Russians. And um, I, I said it once, I'll say it again. Putin's got to stop the invasion. He's got to withdraw. But we also need to provide an off-ramp where that becomes possible, because this endless tit-for-tat escalation is more dangerous than anybody realizes. All right, next. I like this next one. I like this next one a lot, actually. I told a joke yesterday on Twitter. I was... Some people didn't know I was joking, which is absolutely hilarious, because you couldn't... It couldn't have been more... Sorry, I'm like cough laughing. Uh, it couldn't have been more obvious that it was a joke. Let me read it to everybody right now, if I could find it. I don't know how much I tweeted yesterday. Um, eh, decent amount. Sort of mid-tier tweet day, if you ask me. Um, it was about... It, it, it's just a joke, but the joke is banning Russian oil, which is right when we learned that we're banning Russian oil, is all part of based comrade Biden's grandmaster plan to normalize relations with Venezuela, Iran, and Cuba and usher in an era of American socialism. Trust the plan. So it's trying to do like a lefty version of, of QAnon type stuff, just, you know, fucking around, having fun with it. Um, you know, the overwhelming majority of you knew I was joking, but man, some people, <laughs> it's not all firing up there. Anyway, so, um, but it turns out, even though that's a joke, there's a tiny little grain of truth in it, just like a speck of sand of truth in it, which is actually fascinating to me. So let's take a look at this. This is from... Reuters, Venezuela's Maduro says work agenda agreed with U.S. delegation. What? They had a meeting and stuff happened. Uh, Caracas, March 7th, Venezuela's President Nicolas Maduro on Monday said he agreed an, an agenda for future talks with the U.S. delegation that he met on Saturday, the first high-level meeting between the two countries in years. Officials from the two countries discussed easing oil sanctions on the South American country but made little progress towards reaching a deal, five sources familiar with the matter told Reuters on Sunday, part of U.S. efforts to separate Russia from one of its key allies. Last Saturday night, a delegation from the government of the United States of America arrived in Venezuela. I received it here at the presidential palace, Maduro said in a broadcast on state media. We had a meeting. I could describe it as respectful, cordial, very diplomatic, he said. The meeting lasted two hours, he said, without specifying the topics discussed or who the U.S. delegates were. So that is a long meeting. Now, understand something, guys. Until roughly five and a half minutes ago, the United States was running around pretending that 
Juan Guaido was the president of Venezuela, when Juan Guaido is not the president of Venezuela. He was never elected to that position, which also goes to show you our fake concern for, like, we care about human rights and democracy. Total, total nonsense. We militarily support 73% of the world's dictatorships. We try to prop up our own puppet dictators to uh, serve our corporate interests. I mean, that's the reality of it. You all know it. But I, I have to remind everybody, because people sort of get lost in the wilderness, and they think, maybe we do care about human rights and democracy, and maybe we are the world police, and we care about freedom, et cetera, et cetera. Not true. But the second we need something from Venezuela, all of a sudden it's, Mr. President, Mr. President Maduro, can we please have a meeting with you? Oh, great one. I'm being a little hyperbolic, but sort of what happened, right? <laughs> like They're like, okay, now we need something. We need oil. Um, we're banning Russian oil. Eventually Europe is banning Russian oil. They're trying to phase it out, oil and natural gas. Saudi Arabia is, you know, we're not on good terms with them right now for a variety of reasons, including tepid commentary about how killing Jamal Khashoggi was bad. And so they're trying to force out Biden and, and keep oil prices high and limit supply. So we're like, oh, snap, what do we do? Now, there is one easy answer, right? The, the answer would be we, we are the number one producers in the world of oil and natural gas. The U.S. is. A lot of people don't know that, but it's true. Uh, the problem is it's not our oil and natural gas, as in the publics or the countries, the nations. It's the oil and natural gas of the fossil fuel companies. It's Chevron's, it's Exxon's, it's all these different companies. They own it. So what do they do with it? They sell it to the highest bidder, which means they export most of it, the overwhelming majority of it, in fact. So, I mean, one thing you could do is nationalize the oil industry and take our own domestic production and use it domestically. But no, the way the system works is really ridiculous, and we import most of our oil from Mexico and Canada and Saudi Arabia, and um, that's one of the reasons why we are where we are. So anyway, in order to fill in that gap now, we're kind of flailing and throwing around some ideas that were beyond the pale until very, very recently. So we met with Venezuela. There was talk that we were on the verge of a new Iran nuclear agreement, um, but apparently Russia is trying to throw a wrench into that and screw that up as well for obvious reasons. Um, by the way, also, going back to Obama refused to met with, meet with MBS in, I think, 2015. When Obama did that, you had Saudi Arabia meet with Vladimir Putin instead. So they, I'm telling you, they had at some point they had worked out some details as to what's going on right now. I have no doubt about that. In the same way, there's almost certainly a secret deal between um, China and Russia, because they're backstopping the economy however they can at the moment, or else the Russian economy would be just completely obliterated right now. It is still obliterated, but it could have been way worse if Russia wasn't there to let them on their payment processing system, let them on their banking system, so on and so forth. So anyway, U.S. meeting with Venezuela, and they're like, hey, dog, maybe we do release some sanctions if you hook us up with some oil. Well, guess what? We also learned, and this is being reported in a number of places. I have it here on NPR. Venezuela releases two Americans after a visit from U.S. officials. So they had nine American prisoners. And after the two-hour talks and some sort of a deal was made, Maduro was like, look, maybe I, I do a, a token gesture here and I let you know I'm serious. And so freeing two American prisoners that I have. Oh, would you look at that? So if he's doing that for us, we're doing something for him. Right? So maybe you're going to see some sanctions very soon be, lift, be lifted. Uh, they say Venezuela's government released two Americans on Tuesday. A senior U.S. administration official confirms to NPR 
the government of President Nicolas Maduro. Again, hilarious. Now, now it's President Nicolas Maduro. Before it was like contested president. Juan Guaido is the president. Hilarious. We just made up that this guy was president. He wasn't president. It was like um, Shalabi in Iraq. We were pretending, oh, yeah, after Saddam's gone, this guy's the president. Yeah, like, what are you talking about? There's, there's no election. He didn't win. Like, what are you, we're just like, nah, he's, he's, we're good. He's the president, though. What? <laughs> you just made it up. Unbelievable. Um, so they released Gustavo Cardenas, 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 one of six U.S. Citgo executives detained in 2017. Interesting. They detained a Citgo executive. That is ballsy. Uh, and Jorge Alberto Fernandez, who the New York Times says is a Cuban-American tourist arrested under terrorism charges for bringing a drone into Venezuela. So, look, um, there were a number of assassination attempts on Maduro. And we don't know the specifics of that, but if the trends are correct, there's a decent chance the CIA had some role in it. So if, if history is any judge, that probably is the case. The U.S. was trying to throw, uh, overthrow him uh, covertly. And it'll, it's interesting. I, what does the CIA think of what Biden's doing here? The move from the Biden administration, like, hey, dog, we need oil. We're going to go to Venezuela. What do they think of that? Are they thinking maybe we JFK Biden? I don't know. I'm just throwing ideas out there. I'm not saying that's the case, but maybe that is in the conversation. Who knows? Um, Cardenas was one of six U.S. oil executives sentenced to lengthy prison terms in 2020 in the South American country on charges of embezzlement tied to a never-executed proposal to refinance around $4 billion of Citgo bonds. They all proclaimed innocence. So he's releasing people. He's doing for us. We've got to be doing something for him. Uh, now, look, here comes the... Um, more interesting part of the conversation. Is this a good idea? The answer is, hell yes. Look, you guys know, I've said this for a long time, the Kyle Doctrine on Foreign Policy is be neutral as much as possible. There are some ways in which neutrality is not good, like you don't want a neutral media, you want an objective media who always tells you the truth. You don't want somebody to always call it 50-50. In foreign affairs, you try your best to be on neutral footing with everybody. You don't want problems with anybody, you want to be too attached at the hips to anybody because when they do something fucked up, you're blamed for it. So you want to have a relatively neutral footing. Well, in a time like this, when Saudi Arabia is acting a fool and they're like, actually, we wear the pants in this relationship. And by the way, they're doing a genocide in Yemen, which is more than just acting a fool. They're war criminals, right? Russia illegally doing an imperialist invasion of their neighbor, wanting to resurrect the Russian empire, probably invading a lot for the natural gas. I would have never expanded NATO in the first place, but this isn't all about NATO. When this stuff is going on, what do you do? What do you do? And you're going to have gas probably over $6 a gallon. And, I mean, thing number one you should be doing right now is transition as quick as possible to green and renewable technology. That's obvious. That's We can't have another gas, gas crisis and not try to transition off of fossil fuels. That'd be psychotic. So we have to do that. But in the meantime, to make up the difference, why wouldn't you? Work with Venezuela, work with Iran. I got news for you guys. There is no terror threat from Venezuela against the United States. There is no terror threat from Iran against the United States. There just isn't. They might try to make one up to try to prevent a new Iran nuclear agreement, but it's total, total bullshit. Anybody who knows anything about geopolitics knows that that's nonsense. Uh, Iran, they're a Shia theocracy. Now, they're a terrible authoritarian government, but they're a threat to their own people domestically. There aren't, there's no modern examples of Shia terror attacks against the U.S. It's not going to happen. Even, even Taliban terror attacks, they're not Shia, but even Taliban terror attacks is not a thing. They're more of a guerrilla army in their own country. They're not al-Qaeda. They're not ISIS. They, 
oftentimes the deep state and the media rely on people's ignorance of global affairs to try to scare you into things, into believing things. Iran is no threat to us at all. Iran isn't even a threat to its neighbors. Iran is a threat to its own population. Venezuela is no threat to us at all. Venezuela isn't even a threat to its neighbors. It's a threat to its own population. You've got to weigh the relative risks here. Russia is illegally invading its neighbor. Saudi Arabia, most of the 9-11 hijackers came from Saudi Arabia. They came from there. So, in a sense, they are more of a threat to us. They're also a threat to Yemenis. I don't want to, I don't want to fund their war. I don't want to fund their genocide. And they just said today, the only way we're going to release more gas is if the U.S. sides with us 100% on Yemen. Well, how about you go fuck yourself? Hey, like them apples. You think you wear the pants in, in, in this relationship? No, you do not. No, you do not. So, uh, you know, listen, meet with Venezuela, meet with Iran, cut a short-term deal to, to make up the gap for the, the missing oil. It was only 8% of our market, but look, maybe you cut a deal for Europe as well. You have Venezuelan oil go to, to Europe now. But it is possible, you've got to understand something, we've fucked over Venezuela so many times over that it is possible that Maduro um, is sort of playing the role of a double agent here. Like, he actually has allegiance and loyalty to Russia, and he's, he's playing us for a fool in a sense. Like, he's not actually going to meet the oil demand that we need. We don't know. That's yet to be seen. But it's certainly worth a shot. It's worth a shot to cut a deal with them. It's worth a shot to cut a deal with Iran. And this shows you why a foreign policy approach of relative neutrality, you lean on the side of neutrality as much as possible, um, that's the way to go. Because then, you know, when push comes to shove and times get tough, you can wiggle out of horrendous circumstances. So it uh, turns out when their oil is needed, all of a sudden, and by the way, you're going to see the, the, the language around Venezuela change if we do make a deal with them. If we do make a deal with them, the, the, the language around them will change. You'll still have the neocons like Marco Rubio act like, this is crazy, this is insane. But um, you will have, it, there will no longer be the descriptions of like an authoritarian tyrant who's hell-bent on domination of his region. Like they'll, all of a sudden, they'll, they'll neutralize the language. They'll neutralize the language. Because as long as you're a partner with the U.S., uh, you can sort of do whatever you want. I mean, that's the way it works. And it shouldn't work like that. We should actually care about human rights and freedom and democracy. But um, we don't. So then, given that that's the reality, you've got to weigh the relative risks. And I, I don't know. I like this, this way out. Look, here's the reality. Republicans are going to attack Biden Seven out of ten Americans say, I don't even care if we pay higher gas prices. I want to crack down on Russia. Now, eventually they'll flip on that, I think. But right now, that's how they feel. So if Biden doesn't crack down on Russian oil and gas, the Republicans will be like, going soft on Russia. But if he does crack down on Russian oil and natural gas, it'll be, why are the gas prices so high? So there is no winning. There's no winning. So you just have to do the thing that you think is right and you think is correct for the country. Um. I mean, the real answer is nationalize the oil industry and uh, use our domestic oil production for ourselves, but <laughs> that's not going to happen. We are much more likely to do a deal with Venezuela and or Iran uh, than do that. But anyway, that's your update. I think it's a fascinating story. We'll see what happens moving forward. All right, next. There's an Irish politician 
by the name of Richard Barrett. And, um, man, he went to Townski just going after Western hypocrisy and double standards uh, in regards to Ukraine. So you'll see here exactly why this is so powerful. He in no way, shape, or form is doing whataboutism to deflect from the crimes of Vladimir Putin. He is just making an honest and objective point about the nature of the West and how committed we truly are to human rights and democracy and freedom and justice and all these high-minded values we pretend to have. Take a look. Oops. Forgot to turn on the sound, bitch. All right, let's start that over, because you didn't hear anything. All of us have rightly condemned the crimes against humanity that are being committed by Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. And the government has moved instantly, within five days, to sanction Putin's regime. And the strength of language that was used rightly against Putin as a barbarian, as a thug, as a murderer, as a warmonger, all of which are true, all of those things, all of those things, apply to the state of Israel in its treatment of the Palestinians, and yet the government is concerned about its use of language and doesn't feel it is appropriate to even use the word apartheid when Amnesty International, the most respected human rights organization in the world, and Human Rights Watch, within a very short period of time, issue these damning reports saying that Israel, since its foundation, has been built on a system of oppression, <coughs> and apartheid, and racism, involving the murder of unarmed, innocent civilians on a regular basis, gathered in a permanent state of humanitarian crisis, and yet you want to be careful about your language. You're happy to correctly use the most strong and robust language to describe the crimes against humanity of Vladimir Putin, but you will not use the same strength of language when it comes to describing the Israel treatment of the Palestinians when it is now being documented and detailed by two of the most respected human rights organizations in the world. You don't want to even use the word apartheid. Five days sanctions against Putin and his thugs, 70 years of oppression by the Palestinians, and it wouldn't be, what was the word you used? It wouldn't be helpful to impose sanctions. Exactly the same types of sanctions you've just initiated against Vladimir Putin, will you support it? And I think the answer is clearly you're not going to. God damn, son, that was powerful. That was a powerful speech. So, I mean, you guys know all these points. Again, he made clear in that speech, which is why I love it so much, he not at all is, like, excusing what Putin is doing or trying to downplay it or obscure or deflect. Because, unfortunately, some people do make this point to act like, therefore, what Putin is doing is really not all that bad. That's the implication. And that's, no, 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 that's not the point. The point is that when we do it, it's really bad. When Israel does it, it's really bad. When our allies do it, it's really bad. But I, so we got to overlook when Putin does it. No, the point should be, as he's rightly pointing out, it's terrible when everybody's doing it. It is an illegal and offensive invasion. It's aggressive. It is imperialistic. It's not all about NATO. Maybe parts of it are about NATO. But if you think that's the whole picture, you're out of your mind. There's also a tremendous amount of natural gas in Ukraine that Putin wants to get his hands on. Absolutely. There's also his own speech where he gave a blood and soil portion of the speech, which was like, hey, I kind of feel like Ukraine is fake, and it's really mine. It's really ours. 
So learn to live with that because we're going to take it. Okay? Can't overlook that part of the speech. A lot of people are overlooking that part of the speech. But the point he's making is both are bad. You only care about one of them. And that's true. That's true. So in the case of Israel, I mean, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, uh, giant human rights organizations have looked into it, and they say in no uncertain terms, this is apartheid. This is settler colonialism. There is, uh, you know, rampant discrimination going on there on a regular basis. They're illegally occupying Palestinian territory. I mean, they commit war crimes on a Tuesday before brunch. That's what they do. But we don't care about that. We won't even use the language. Never mind, uh, you know, sanctioning specific things. They won't do that. They won't even use the language. Western governments won't even use the language. Or at least, certainly the U.S. won't even use the language. So it, it does, there's massive hypocrisy there. You know, Yemen. We are aiding and abetting a genocide happening in Yemen. You know, so many people dying in Saudi airstrikes. Civilians. People starving on the ground because of a blockade. That stuff matters. Those are victims, but they're victims of us and our allies, so we overlook it and act like it doesn't count for whatever reason. It definitely counts in Afghanistan. The Biden sanctions, even though they've released some of the money, they're still withholding billions of dollars that is rightfully Afghanistan's money from Afghanistan, so millions of people are starving. They're starving. They're starving because of our sanctions, because of Biden's sanctions. So anything to say about that? Is that criminal? Is that negligent? Is that uh, a war crime? Yes, it is, but nobody says anything about it. In fact, they overlook it. Trump used to brag and admit that we're occupying part of Syria to jack their oil. Well, that's one of the main reasons, one of the main things we're going after Putin for, rightfully, is he's trying to get his hands on that natural gas. That's why he took Crimea in 2014. A lot of natural gas was found just off the coast of Crimea, then boom, he takes Crimea. Gee, I wonder why. So if that's a crime, and it is, well, so is occupying Syria and jacking their natural gas. And excuse me, jacking their oil. So, look, the hypocrisy is deep, and it is immense. And you don't have moral standing if you, if you don't also condemn it and want to do something to stop it when it's us. Let me give a great example. Uh, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. gave a speech the other day, and uh, one of the things she did was go after Russia for using cluster bombs against the civilian population in Ukraine. In the transcript of her commentary afterwards, they took out the part where she goes after Russia for using illegal cluster bombs. They're illegal under international law, but they took out the part. Why do they take out the part? Because the U.S. uses cluster bombs all the time. And that's, again, also illegal under international law. So you'd have a lot more moral standing if we didn't use the cluster bombs wouldn't you? If we didn't use depleted, depleted excuse me, uranium tips in Fallujah, there's a bunch of horror stories coming out of there from that. Now, isn't there? That's against international law. Israel uses white phosphorus. That's against international law. It's chemical warfare. We'd have a lot more standing if we didn't do those things. We'd have a lot more standing if we never invaded Iraq illegally. But we did those things. And so, again, I want to be clear. No... If anybody's making this point about how bad the West is to say, therefore, it doesn't matter that Putin's doing it, that's wrong. That's, that is what about is, and that is deflection, that is obfuscation. But if somebody's making this point to say, yes, his illegal invasion is bad, and ours are too, so maybe we should actually abide by the values we pretend to have, it's the correct position. 
So, look, I'm all for sanctions that go after Putin and the oligarchs. I'm not for anyone that hurt average civilians there. So if you want to draw a parallel to the Israeli situation, I'm all for sanctioning the government. I'm all for forcing their hand to stop illegally occupying Palestinian territory. I'm all for BDS of the illegally occupied territories. Because, again, that's to go after the problem. Now, if you tell me, well, every citizen of Israel, even ones who are in you know, Israel proper, where it's not, the, it's not the illegally occupied territories right now, if you tell me they all have to suffer too, no, then that's a different story, because that's similar to like all the, hurting all the innocent people in Russia because of what Putin's doing, then I'm out. But look, we need to have fair, reasonable standards. And it's hard for people to take our moral preening seriously when it's so selectively applied. Look, I'll bring up this fact. I've brought up this fact a million million times. I'll bring it up again. 73% of the world's dictatorships are armed and funded by the U.S. At the very least, if we're not talking about doing sanctions on these governments for various human rights abuses, etc., at the very least, you could not arm them to the teeth. But the fact of the matter is we care more about geopolitics, um, U.S. hegemony, and having control of the world than we do about any fake concerns about human rights or justice or morality or freedom or being the world police, so on and so forth. So it's hollow. Like, our criticisms are hollow. Try to stop what Russia is doing by targeted sanctions on oligarchs and Putin and using diplomacy in every way imaginable to get us back from the brink. That's the answer. For the other human rights abuses that we're guilty of, Noam Chomsky said it best. There's a very easy way to reduce terrorism. Stop participating in it. So what can we control? We can control, we could try to eliminate our own terrorism that we do. Now, to be fair to Biden, he's actually massively reduced the number of illegal drone strikes that happens. He's almost gotten rid of the drone war, so credit him on that. To be fair, I don't know how much of that is a reporting problem, because I think Trump had rules in place at the end of his time in office where you don't have to report your drone strikes anymore, so he could just be continuing it, and we don't, we don't know because it's not reported as much anymore. But every indication I've seen indicates, every indication indicates, everything I've seen indicates that it might actually be that he has genuinely reduced our drone strikes. That'd be wonderful. But, you know, maybe also pull out of Iraq now, maybe also stop doing the illegal sanctions that are killing children and women. So that's how we can make the world a better place. That's how we can make the world a better place. Stop doing the bad things that we do, and then also the people we have influence with, our allies, we can apply pressure on them to stop committing the war crimes that they commit, and then right there, you've cleaned up the world massively. Now, if there are going to be rogue states that also commit atrocities, do invasions, do human rights violations, etc., be targeted and specific in your response where you try to stop that exact thing by applying pressure on the right people, like targeted sanctions on Putin and the oligarchs, so on and so forth. That's the way forward. But obviously the, the hypocrisy is deep, and it clearly is bothering Richard Barrett, and he gave us a legendary rant. Okay, next. Next, next, next. Let's talk to Ilhan Omar, or talk about Ilhan Omar.
Ilhan Omar um, said something on Twitter that I'm sure is getting a lot of negative attention, but let's think through what she's arguing here. So let's take a look. She says, the consequences of flooding Ukraine with billions of dollars in weapons, likely not limited to just military-specific equipment, but also including small arms plus ammo, are unpredictable and likely disastrous, especially when they're given to paramilitary groups without accountability. So she continues here and says, somebody said to her, Easy to criticize and question, hard to lead. What policies are you recommending? Are you saying we should not provide weapons and financial support for Ukraine? And she responds, I support giving Ukraine the resources it needs to defend its people. I just have legitimate concerns about the size and scope. By the way, criticizing and questioning is my job as a leader and a member of Congress. It's the hardest part of my job. Trust me, it's easy to just follow. And that is one million percent accurate because, like I said, She's the only person saying this. Nobody else is saying this. Now, I'll get to the specifics on it in a second, but I also want to give you a little more here because we learned this last night. At least one Democrat says she plans to vote no on the House's Russian oil ban bill tonight. Huh. She cites the impact that sanctions and economic isolation will have on the Russian population. Interesting. Um... And I like somebody, somebody responds to this with a great point. They said, remember when Barbara Lee voted alone against the Afghanistan war? Sometimes these loan decisions turn out to be wiser than the other 500 members of Congress, especially when it comes to war and peace. So let's, let's dive into this a little bit. Now, I thought Biden was going to try to do the banning Russian oil thing unilaterally. It turns out, no, they're going through Congress, but he has the votes. That appears pretty obvious. It's probably going to get through the Senate, too. Almost certainly going to get through the Senate. But Ilhan Omar is like, I don't think this is a good idea. The reason why I think that makes perfect sense is what I've been worrying about with these sanctions for so long now, which is you can't overreach. You can't do collective punishment. You can't do it because, again, then you're hurting innocent people. Then you are now doing something that is bad and wrong. Now, you know what else is bad and wrong? Illegally invading a country, Putin doing his own imperialism, trying to take over a sovereign country and jack the natural gas there. Like, that's wrong, too. But that doesn't mean we can overreach and hurt Babushka, who can't even go to the bank now and get her money out and has, you know, maybe we'll have no way of paying for a meal in a week and a half. So, I mean, look, this shouldn't be what I'm saying shouldn't be controversial, but it is controversial because there's like this this hysteria and this mania in the country now where everything you possibly can throw at them, you throw at them short of boots on the ground in war. Now, I'm happy people don't want boots on the ground in war, but they're is such a thing as an economic sanction that is sort of like an act of war. I mean, if you can't feed your family, if, you know, everybody loses their job, if the economy totally implodes and they enter a Great Depression and they contract 15%, 20%, 30%, you're not providing an off-ramp to eventually get to a point where we can solve this thing. You're just being punitive. And sure, there's a place in the conversation for punishment, of course, but that can't be the whole conversation because then we're not trying to de-escalate. We're not trying to fix anything. We're just trying to feel good and get revenge and retaliation and retribution. And again, I think history shows us if that's your only concern, oh, you can make it a lot worse. And there also seems to be no understanding of blowback and a backlash effect. Because I guarantee you it's happening. Guys, there was a story, there was something that happened just yesterday. 
there were a number of very prominent, you know, sites, websites online that it looks like there was a massive cyber attack against them. Some of them went down for a really long time. Maybe that's linked to the fact that we've declared economic war on Russia, and now certain things are coming back to us. And, you know, you, you almost hope that is that as bad as it's going to get, but that's honestly kind of naive. It could get a hell of a lot worse. Never mind the fact Homeboy's on the decline, he's erratic, and he's got nukes. So we're, nobody's being rational about this. Nobody's being logical about this, except Ilhan Omar. So to the point on um, she's not going to vote for it, I think history is going to show that she's right on this. They already sanctioned so many different aspects of the economy, and the last thing standing was the oil and gas. And the reason why that wasn't sanctioned yet is because there were no contingency plans, and Europe is so reliant on Russian oil and gas. We only take 8% of our oil and gas from Russia. Um, the EU, I mean, Germany in, in, in particular, takes like 50 or 60% of their natural gas comes from there. So we, like, couldn't do it. But now they're, like, they're trying to make the contingency plans and sanction them in the process and get rid of that, too. And so it's gone too far. This is going to hurt way too many ordinary people. And it, it also, and I, I don't know how much Ilhan Omar brings this up, but it also is terrifying because it's escalatory and there is no off-ramp and you're sending a sign to Russia that we don't even want an off-ramp. Because now you're making it so that now even if Putin does the right thing, even if he does pull out, right, there, there's no face-saving thing for him. And also we might not even lift the sanctions after he does it. So now what incentive is there to do that? I, doesn't sound good. Now, let's get to the point on the weapons, because that I'm sure people are going after her for that even more. Um, guys, what she's saying is obvious, because we know it's true. The Azov Battalion is a group where they say like 10 to 20 percent of the people in the Azov Battalion are Nazis. That's what they admit to. I think the number's higher. Call me crazy. It's hard. It's just, just a wee bit of Nazis, you know, like they are part of the Ukrainian National Guard. And they're some of the more battle-hardened fighters because they were in the civil war in the eastern portion of Ukraine, in the Donbass region. So they're officially part of the government. And they are the better fighters in the Ukrainian military. For Ilhan Omar to be like, look, this stuff could be going to paramilitary groups. We don't know who they are. This could be devastating. She sounds to me exactly like somebody who would have warned in the 1980s, hey, I know we're trying to fight the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union is waging a war in Afghanistan, and I know we want to fund rebel groups on the ground, but hey, maybe, just maybe, we should be a little careful with who we're sending the weapons to because there's this little group called the Mujahideen on the ground, which maybe this can have a backlash effect if we give them the weapons. They're not a group that should have weapons. They're kind of extremists. So she would have been right then, and she's right now. She's right now. Because, you know, people don't think of the consequences of this stuff. If you flood them with an endless amount of weapons and you're not careful with it, there is no, you know, there are no specific rules. There are no uh, strings attached. You just let them give it to whoever gets it in the region, right? Well, maybe the battle-hardened fighters are going to stockpile more of those weapons. And then maybe, you know, Zelensky at some point also wants an off-ramp, and so he starts negotiating with Putin. And maybe, I'm just spitballing here, but maybe he says, okay, the two 
eastern portions, if, if in order to make peace, we need to say they're independent states now, not part of Russia, not part of Ukraine, they're independent states, okay, we'll sign that agreement. Well, then the neo-Nazi far-right factions in the country can turn on Zelensky, call him a Russian puppet, and then if they got all these weapons, they can do a coup. They can do a coup of Zelensky, and then all of a sudden you have like a literal neo-Nazi paramilitary running Ukraine. Like, I, look, I know that everything I'm saying now sounds far-fetched, and I, I have no idea if that's going to happen, but if you indiscriminately give weapons to Ukraine and you don't have rules attached to it, like this cannot go to the Azov Battalion, well, maybe they'll get it, and maybe they'll do really bad things with it. I don't know if you know this, but neo-Nazis, turns out, are not great people. So I think she's right, and that's all she's saying, because she... She was clear. I'm, look, I'm in favor of giving them defensive weapons. I get it. I'm in favor of giving them defensive weapons. But you should have rules attached to it. This can't go to the Azov Battalion. You know, uh, we're only giving certain kinds of weapons. Like, this reminds me of the insanity now about giving them fighter jets. Because, okay, to give Ukraine fighter jets, there is no place in Ukraine where they can take off from to attack the, you know, the Russian convoy or whoever. So where are they going to take off from? Well, people are talking now about Poland. So you're going to have jets that were originally from Poland that are given to Ukraine. So now we're just pretending they're Ukrainian jets, even though they're Polish fighter jets. And then they take off from Poland and attack Russian troops. Well, Russia can obviously look at that and say, that's NATO attacking us. So that's World War III right there. So I, people need to think about this stuff more carefully, man. Do you need to think about this stuff more carefully? There's this mania and there's this hysteria where people have gone so far. Now we're talking about banning Russian cats from cat shows where, you know, you have over 10 states banning Russian vodka, Russian liquor from the liquor store. There are various Russian celebrities who've been, like, fired from projects, even though they're anti-war. That's not enough. Apparently they need to be more anti-war somehow or directly call out Putin or something. I don't know, but they're being fired. There's this mania in the country. And all Ilhan Omar is saying is, look, I'm in favor of giving you guys defensive weapons, but let's be intelligent about this. Can't go to the Azov Battalion. Can't go to neo-Nazi paramilitaries. That's not too much to ask. What the hell are we doing here? What are we talking about? She's 100% right about it. History will prove her right. She's standing up now to a mob, and she's probably being, you know, destroyed for it. But she's right, and she's also right about maybe we don't fully ban Russian oil and natural gas because there's no off-ramp for Putin. And, um... This is going to have consequences. This is going to have a backlash effect. And also, average Russians are going to be obliterated by this, and they didn't make the decision. A lot of them disagree with Putin. I know. I showed you guys the video of it. We showed you the on-the-ground interviews. So I think she's right. I think what she's doing here is brave, and she deserves a lot of credit for it. Okay. All right, let's go to one of my favorite stories of the day. Here we go. Laura Ingram had on Rick Scott, and you're not going to see uh, him talk much here, but in this interview, they said a number of absurd things. I'm only going to show you a little piece of it, but if you watch the whole thing, they say a number of absurd things. Um, Rick Scott um, put out an 11-point plan and said, this is what us Republicans are running on in the midterms. Now, on the one hand, uh, you know, I commend that because he's saying, I don't want to be a total empty suit and run on nothing. I want to show people, hey, this is what we stand for. Let's be upfront and honest with people about what we stand for. Okay, good. As a matter of principle, I like that you're just telling me what you're in favor of. Great. 
Now, there's another faction in the Republican Party, the dominant strain in the Republican Party, led by Mitch McConnell, who says, what are you doing? What are you doing? We're up like a zillion points in the generic ballot. We're going to win. The question is just by how much. If you just shut up, we'll probably win by more. Even though that's more Sith Lord dark shit, you know, like let's hide what we're really about, etc. It's smarter politics because what McConnell seems to understand that Rick Scott doesn't is like, if you flush out our ideas in detail, it's actually not that popular, and maybe we'll get fewer votes if you do that. Okay, so there's a big split in the Republican Party right now. Rick Scott took the reins. He's like, I'm, I'm just plowing forward with this. I'm going to make my plan. I don't care what Mitch McConnell says. He releases it, and I want you to look at, number one, the infighting here, but number two, how this plan is described, and then I'm going to tell you what's in the plan, and you are going to be... Floored. Is Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell worried about his top spot on the GOP totem pole? We move now to domestic politics. Well, that would explain his visceral reaction to an 11-point governing plan put forward by Florida Senator Rick Scott. Should the GOP retake Congress this fall, Scott's plan is unabashedly populist, which is why McConnell is using one point in the plan to discredit the rest of it. Let me tell you what would not be a part of our agenda. We will not have as part of our agenda a bill that raises taxes on half the American people and sunsets Social Security and Medicare within five years. The turtle Sith Lord has a point. So now she says it's an unabashedly populist plan. Not that. It is atrociously stupid. I, I'm going to go through it. I'm going to go through it. You're not going to believe it. The fact that she called this populist shows the right-wing perception of what populism is among the elites is, is mental. I mean, they're totally out to lunch. So, prong number one. You guys are, half of these things aren't even policies. They're just like... Republican, vague Republican slogans that you could put on a fucking fortune cookie. Education. Our kids will say the Pledge of Allegiance, salute the flag, learn that America is a great country, and choose the school that best fits them. Okay, so little dig at public schools there, like a school choice, so they want to privatize schools, of course. Pledge of Allegiance, salute the flag, learn that America is a great country. So in other words, they look at like what they view as liberal propaganda of all you guys do is teach that America is bad. And they say, we would like to do the mirror image propaganda of that and teach you only that America is great. So they want to teach like American exceptionalism. So what do you want to do? You want to teach American exceptionalism is American supremacism. So teach we're better than everybody else. And also what? If you're gonna, only going to teach America is great, what are you not teaching? What parts of our history are you burying? Are you burying Japanese internment, Jim Crow, slavery, Native American genocide? Now, I'm not here to tell you you should only teach the bad things. I think you should teach the good and the bad things because that's what an education is. You've got to give all the facts and all the information and, you know, let people make up their own mind, but give an accurate depiction and description of the country. They don't want to do that. They want to do their own propaganda. Only teach that America's good, Joe. I only play up the things that we like. That's it. Only the things we like. This is the first prong of his policy plan. Number two, colorblind equality. Government will never ask it... Uh, excuse me, 
government will never again ask American citizens to disclose their race, ethnicity, or skin color on any government form. This is the second prompt of his 11-point policy plan, so-called policy plan. Number three, safety and crime. The soft-on-crime days of coddling criminal behavior will end. We will refund and respect the police because they, not the criminals, are the good guys. Police budgets are soaring. They are soaring right now. They love to, uh, you know, pin this on the entire left, this idea of defund the police. There is literally only one Democratic congressperson who ran on it, Cori Bush, and she won because she represents Ferguson. So this idea that, like, what, there's this epidemic of Democrats defunding the police around the country, it's not happening. It's not real. And when they say, enough with the soft on crime stuff, what does that mean? What does that mean? Like, what, what are you going to crack down on and make illegal that's not already illegal? Or are you just going to take all the laws that are on the books and enforce them extra now? Like, what exactly does that mean? I want to be hard on crime. Well, look, I'm hard on crime, too, if you're talking about, like, rape and murder and robbery and things of that nature. But those things are already illegal and those things are already enforced. So what are you talking about? When I hear, end the soft on crime days, stop coddling criminal behavior, I hear we're going to double down on the drug war. That's what we're going to do. We're going to take nonviolent offenders and double down on punishing them and locking them in a cage. When really the conversation we should be having now is to end the drug war and legalize marijuana at the very least. So again, I'm tough on crime if you're talking about rape and robbery and, and murder, etc. But I'm, I don't even think the so-called drug crimes should be crimes. They're nonviolent. Nobody get hurt. Should we go arrest the CEO of Budweiser because they're selling a harmful product? Well, this is his approach. Okay, let's continue. Number four, immigration. We will secure our border, finish building the wall, and name it after President Donald Trump. Bro, what? This notion that the Democrats are soft on the border. Joe Biden has kept in place a number of Donald Trump's harshest immigration policies. Title 42 is still in place. Remain in Mexico is still in place. Barack Obama, when he was president and had Biden as vice president, they broke the deportation record. They deported more than Donald Trump did. They are now saying... You don't have due process if you come in this country. Because we have a pandemic, we're just going to kick you out immediately. That's Title 42. Courts have ruled that's kind of unconstitutional. The U.S. government's like, I don't really care. We're still going to deport them. So Biden is being very right-wing and very harsh on immigration. And these guys don't, there is no like, we agree with you on that, sir, because we're intellectually honest. This is, they're just like, we got to be tougher and secure the border. Name the wall after Trump. This, the whole thing is just like a right-wing virtue signal. A lot of these things, some of these things are policies. A lot of them aren't even policies. Number five, growth in the economy. I love this one. We will grow America's economy, starve Washington's economy, and stop socialism. Dog, what socialism? If we had it, I'd be ecstatic. I'd be like, man, based comrade Biden. But we don't. There is no universal health care in this country. There is no free college in this country. There is no, you know... Uh, universal unionization. There is no uh, paid vacation time by law. We can't even get that through. Can't even get universal pre-K through. Can't even get elder care through. What socialism? What so? The only socialism we do have is corporate socialism, which is corporatism, which is basically give all the money to the corporations and the rich uh, when when they 
hit a down patch, a down patch, I don't even know if that makes sense. When there's a downturn in the economy and they're going bankrupt, you bail them out. Like what happened with the airlines during COVID. They already had billions of dollars, uh, you know, stashed away, and we gave them billions more. Because, oh, my God, the economy's going bad. What do we do? Bail out from the top down. 2008 Wall Street crash. What do we do? Rush in and bail out the big banks. No strings attached. Then they'll let them pay bonuses out and whatever. So the idea that we have socialism for regular people in this country is nonsense. I wish we did. I wish at the very least we were a social democracy. I wish workers had more control. Stop socialism, please. Uh. And now, the specifics of this, though, when you get into the specifics of this number five policy here, growth in the economy, this is the thing McConnell was referring to. You know what one of his plans is? They say it. They come out and say it. Uh, about half the country doesn't pay anything in, in federal taxes. We're going to make them pay taxes. That half the country that doesn't pay anything in federal taxes, you know who he's talking about? The poorest half of the country. The poorest half of the country. Now, why do they pay no federal taxes? They don't have any money. They don't have any money. They can't afford to pay taxes. They already pay state taxes. They already pay local taxes. They already pay a variety of other taxes. And they don't have the money to pay federal taxes, so they don't pay federal taxes. He's like, we're going to raise taxes on them. So take the people who are struggling the most and burden them more. In fact, there was a a report that was just released on this that found the bottom 40% of Americans would see an average increase in their taxes of $1,000 under this plan. So turns out Republicans are for tax hikes as long as it's for the poor and the middle class. As I've warned you about previously, all the rhetoric of we're for putting more money in your wallet. No, they only mean that for the wealthy and the upper middle class. They don't mean that for the middle class or the poor. They want to raise your taxes. And also the thing about Social Security and Medicare, he's going full Paul Ryan and like, let's privatize it. Even Mitch McConnell's like, you idiot. You're supposed to say these things behind closed doors. We're supposed to cut a deal to privatize it while lying about the fact that we're privatizing it. Nobody's going to accept it if you come out and say that we're going to privatize it, you jackass. Unbelievable. The sixth thing, government reform and debt. We will eliminate all federal programs that can be done locally and enact term limits and federal bureaucrats and, for federal bureaucrats and Congress. Term limits are a solution in search of a problem. doesn't matter if you have corrupt lawmakers serving for one year, two years, or ten years. Um, they're still going to be corrupt in their term. Because the problem is not you're there too long. The problem is you guys are all corrupted. But again, this stuff, is, it's a joke. This whole plan is a joke. Fair fraud free elections is number seven. We will protect the integrity of American democracy and stop left-wing efforts to rig elections. What does that even mean? That's just like I'm pandering and virtue signaling to Donald Trump with his nonsense about the election was rigged. That's what he's doing with this one. This is a, one of the things in their policy platform. What are you talking about? There were 60 court cases, and Trump lost almost every single one of them. They did an audit in Arizona to find out what really happened. It turned out Biden won by more votes than anybody thought he won by on Election Day. You lost. Get over it. And also the idea of, like, the left-wing efforts to rig the elections. This is what they say as they do that with all the voter ID laws and all the, the gerrymandering that they do. I mean, they, they, they're cryboys. They pretend like they're victims as they're actually the bullies, and they whine and they whine and they whine. Number eight, this plank is called family. We will protect, defend, and promote the American family at all costs. Unless you're talking about paid maternity leave, we don't want to do that. Unless you're talking about paid paternity leave, you don't want to do that. 
Unless you're talking about paid vacation time, we don't want to do that. Unless you're talking about a four-day work week, we don't want to do that. Unless you're talking about embracing at-home work um, instead of trying to push people back to the office, we don't want to do that. Oh, pro-family policies. Do you want to give higher wages to the American family? No, 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 I don't want to do that. Child tax credit. It just expired, and none of the Republicans were for renewing it. Child tax credit. Cut poverty like, uh, child poverty like 40 or 50%. We're all for protecting and defending the American family at all costs, unless we actually have to do anything economically to help them, in which case, fuck them. Gender, life, and science. Men are men. This is the ninth plank. Men are men. Women are women. And unborn babies are babies. We believe in science. Unless it comes to climate change, uh, you don't believe in science. Unless it comes to vaccines, you don't believe in science. Literally, the plank says men are men, women are women, and unborn babies are babies. We believe in science. What even is the policy? Where's the policy? What are you saying? Well, we'll just embrace any sort of anti-trans legislation around the country, like the one that just came out in Texas, where they're going to consider it child abuse if you have a trans kid and the state will take your kids. This This is what he's in favor of. Very pro family there, by the way. Uh, number 10, religious liberty and big tech. Americans will be free to welcome God into all aspects of our lives. And the 11th plank is America first. We are Americans, not globalists. That is rich coming from a politician and a political party that has never met a so-called free trade deal they don't like. And by the way, it's not really free trade. It's just outsourcing deals. It's serving corporate interests in America over the well-being of American workers. So if they want to ship jobs to Bangladesh to pay pennies on the dollar and make more profit and screw over some community in Michigan or Ohio, they'll do it in a second, in a second. America first, my ass cheeks. These guys also love war. All the Republicans have a hard-on now for straight-up World War III. They're doing no fly zone, doing no fly zone, doing no fly zone. America first. Oh, my God. Anyway, you can see why even Mitch McConnell is like, hey, dog, You can take your little plan here and shove it directly up your rectum. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Why? Because we'll win by more if you don't tell people what we're for, peckerhead. Nobody likes our ideas. Get stuffed. Nobody likes our ideas. Oh, my God. All right. There you have it, guys. They called this a populist populist plan. Raising taxes on the bottom 50% of Americans, people who can't afford it, that's populist. Populist, according to Laura Ingram. There is not a single policy in here that is populist. Not a single one. Populist representing the interests of average people. That's populism. None of that's being done here. It's just extreme social conservatism and authoritarianism mixed with standard free market bullshit. It's all vague Republican slogans that you could put on a fortune cookie. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, I got Marjorie Taylor Greene. And then I also have Fox News describing uh, Russia's war in Ukraine as the Green New Deal War. Oh, for the love of God. Stay right there, guys. We'll be right back.
All right, we're back, baby. We are back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's snowing here in New York, and I absolutely despise it. We are, we're not just part of nature. We are nature, because I don't know how you guys feel about this. For me, when the sun is shining, when it's bright outside, blue sky, I feel so alive, I feel so happy, I feel so fresh, I feel so refreshed. But when it's snowing or when it's gray outside, when it's dark, when it's cloudy, I just hate it. I just hate it. I mean, I really, I'm supposed to be either in the south or on the west coast. I am not a Midwest guy and I am not a Northeast guy, even though literally I am a Northeast guy. It's a damn shame. All right, um, let's continue. Talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. <clears throat> Marjorie Taylor Greene likes to posture as this, like, outsider truth teller on the right. Um, the reality is she's not that, and you're about to see a great example of why I'm correct. So take a look here. More Perfect Union says, New, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene bought up to $15,000 of Lockheed Martin stock the day before she tweeted, War and rumors of war is incredibly profitable. Lockheed stock is up 21% since Green's purchase two days before Russia invaded Ukraine. And then you can see there on the left, it's the filer, um, and it shows the investment that she made. Now, I also have here, this is, this is her exact tweet. War and rumors of war is incredibly profitable and convenient. And just like that, the media now has a lie to use as the reason for our shattered economy and out-of-control inflation. What a sad existence it must be to shill for globalism and America last politicians. So, um, you know, you're not posturing against the military industrial complex. You are partaking in the military industrial complex. I mean, this is the stuff we talk about all the time, man, all the time. You have politicians who are profiting directly off of industries that they have a direct role in determining the future of those industries. If she makes a $15,000 investment, up to $15,000 investment, it was anywhere from one to 15000 If she makes that big of an investment in Lockheed Martin, let me ask you a question. Is she more likely or less likely to give them some sort of no-bid contract where they make all these different weapons? Is she more likely or less likely if a bill comes up to rearm Saudi Arabia, let's say, in the near future? Is she more likely or less likely to vote in favor of that bill? So all concerns for ethics, morality, the will of the people in the country, out the window, out the window. Now she's got a personal financial stake in how to vote on that. And she's just one of a thousand examples I can give. I mean, another great one was the Tom Price, who was Trump's former head of Health and Human Services. This is a guy who invested in a medical device company and then turned around and was pushing legislation that would have jacked up the price of the medical device company he invested in. All, almost all these guys do it. Almost all these guys do it. So how is this allowed? How is this allowed? And it is. People, they just do it, look the other way. All we have is some vague disclosure laws. Like, if you're corrupt, you're going to have to show people how you're corrupt. Is that enough? Is that enough? Do you just want to, like, broadcast? in 4K, the downfall of society, or would you rather not allow them to perpetuate the downfall of society? I, I know the answer to that question. I'm sure you do, too. 
She's not some outsider posture, you know, being like a truth teller, keeping it real. She's an insider, making money directly off of war as she decries making money off of war. I mean, it doesn't get more hypocritical than that, and it doesn't get more corrupt than that. You should immediately pass a bill to ban members of Congress from trading stocks. Um, you should actually should ban the revolving door. Like, there's a number of things you can and should do to prevent this sort of corporate capture, because that is what it is. And um, unfortunately, it's open season, man. It's the Wild West out there in D.C. I mean, corporations run the place. I mean, I'd have no problem ban every avenue of corruption and then raise the pay of politicians, as long as try to make them corruption-proof, because we can't keep going on like this. You wonder how we got to a position where, like, 18% of Americans have a positive view of Congress. It's stuff like this. Everybody knows deep down on some instinctual level. They're not really working for you. And this is a great example of it here. Okay. Next. Fox News has been all over the place with their coverage of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. At the beginning, uh, before it happened, they were actually taking an interesting line. They were trying to say, I think they have an affinity for strong men and for authoritarian leaders, and Putin is really massively anti-gay. And they sort of went with the line that, like, he's been put upon by the West, and he's just trying to keep Russia strong or whatever. It's defensive what he's doing. But after the invasion became clear what's happening, And then, you know, we started getting plenty of examples of civilians being targeted. Um, They flipped. Because if you remember, you know, the further back you go, the more they were anti-Putin. In the Obama years, they were massively anti-Putin because Obama was more in favor of detente and negotiation, and he didn't want to raise uh, tensions with with Putin. So they were really – they were to the right back then on it. They were very hawkish on it. They were treated him like the strongman authoritarian he is. And then – At some point, that flipped, but then after the invasion, it flipped back. So now they're back to being like, oh, this guy's terrible. This guy's horrendous. Um, But they're also trying to find a way to pin it on Democrats, because that's what they do. I mean, it's Fox News. That's like 101 Fox News stuff. So anyway, uh, here they are. You're never going to guess. Well, maybe you will. It's probably in the title of this video. But it's amazing that they were able to stretch it this far to make it so that it's AOC's fault? Take a look. I think think Donald Trump told us, he showed us what his doctrine is. And his doctrine was economic power is national security. Energy Energy independence is national security. One of the first things he did was was disavow this idea that we could not be energy independent. And right now, I'm sorry, this is a Green New Deal war. This is John Kerry's war. This is AOC's war. We are in this position because we have allowed uh, Russia to be empowered and enriched because of our energy policy. Okay, that is absolutely psychotic in about a thousand different ways. Um, We are the number one producer of oil and gas. This idea that, like, Democratic presidents don't allow us to be energy independent and Republican presidents do, that is pure fiction. That's a total and utter myth. Again, number one producer of oil and gas in the world. So why is it that we still might run into some sort of uh, gas shortage now because of what's happening 
with Russia? Well, the answer is very simple. That's not our oil and gas. It's not the American people's. It's not the nation's oil and gas. It is the oil and gas of the private companies. It's Chevron's, it's ExxonMobil's. And so they do, they sell it to the highest bidder. They just want to make an extra buck because that's how corporations work. So we're the number one producer of oil and gas and we export it. Now, they might not like that. Agreed, I don't like that. But that, the only way you could change that is to say, let's just nationalize it. Let's nationalize the energy industry. And then you can, uh, you know, prioritize how you want to spend your resources and where you want to put them. And, you know, it would be a reasonable thing to use it more domestically in a situation like we're in right now. So, again, they're just they're trying to say Democrats bad. We're not energy independent under Democrats. Republicans good. We are energy independent under Republicans. And that's not true. That's just not true at all. We're number one under both Democratic administrations and Republican administrations of uh, oil and gas production, but we export it. And we import most of our oil and natural gas from Mexico, Canada, and Saudi Arabia. And again, the, the reason is it's all about the private companies and how they want to make their money and what they want to do with it. And they keep, like now the big top one is the Keystone XL pipeline, Keystone XL pipeline. If, if uh, you know, Biden had approved that, we'd be much better off. The Keystone XL pipeline, they were going to outsource or, and export almost all of the stuff coming out of the Keystone XL pipeline. And by the way, even if he approved it, it wasn't going to be done until 2023. So like they, they have nothing but just talking points that aren't thought through even a little bit. The second you look into these issues even a little bit deeper, you go, oh, they, they have no idea what they're talking about. But let's go a step further. Let's go a step further here because they're blaming Democrats. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Republicans and Democrats have been insistent that we do not go down the path of green and renewable technology. What would have prevented any sort of energy crisis uh, right now if we already had a vibrant, thriving green and renewable technology sector, an energy sector? So if we didn't have to rely so much on fossil fuels, well, we got the wind and we got the solar and we got the nuclear and we got the geothermal or whatever. And so we're good. Like, you want to shut off the oil? All right, we're good, dog. We got, we're energy independent over here. We are using green and renewable technology and we're not dependent on fossil fuels anymore. So in other words, they are bashing the mindset, which is the solution to the problem. It's like when corporate Democrats go after the left and blame them for the Democrats' unpopularity, when the reason the Democrats are unpopular is because of the corporate Democrats and they don't pass any good policies that would make Americans like them, like universal pre-K or free health care, lower prescription drug prices, etc. This is the same kind of thing. Blaming the left, when the left's answer all along was, hey, maybe we should be off of oil and gas already and be energy independent. If we were in that position, we wouldn't have to worry about Russian oil and gas or Saudi Arabia is not giving us enough, so on and so forth. So unbelievable. Now, but you heard it. You heard it. They said, this is the Green New Deal war. This is AOC's war. Again, if AOC was emperor, we would already be much more down that path of green and renewable technology being um, widely available, and we wouldn't have to rely on the oil. So to blame her, I mean, and also one of the least hawkish members of our overwhelmingly hawkish Congress somehow the war is her fault. Vladimir Putin invading Ukraine is AOC's war, is the Green New Deal war, the policy that we don't even have. And if we did have it, again, we'd be 
much better off because we wouldn't have to rely on anybody's oil. Unbelievable. Uh, the final thing I'll say there, at the beginning, they're trying to uh, determine what Trump's foreign policy doctrine is, and they sort of trip over themselves as they're describing it. They're like, oh, it's economic power leads to peace or something like that, right? Trump's foreign policy doctrine was incoherent is what it was, totally incoherent. So on the one hand, like take North Korea. He wanted to like talk to North Korea and make some sort of a peace deal. Great. I supported that. I, mean, I was in favor of that. I gave him credit at the time. You know, a lot of people might not have liked it in my audience. I don't care. I care more about peace than any sort of partisan game playing, right? But in Iran, he did the opposite. He ripped up the Iranian nuclear agreement, the peace deal that they were abiding by 100%, according to the IAEA. But he pursued that exact kind of an agreement with North Korea. So North Korea, nuclear peace deal, good. Iran, nuclear uh, peace deal, bad. There's no consistency. That's incoherent. And so what do I think was the reason he did that? It was just, it stemmed from anti-Obamaism. Whatever Obama did, I'm going to do the opposite. He made peace with Iran. I, I don't want peace with Iran. He didn't make peace with North Korea. I want peace with North Korea. To the extent there was anything that was animating his foreign policy worldview, that was it. Because it's just, you can't make sense of it. It's just scattershot. There's all sorts of different, in this area we're going to be hawkish, in this area we're going to be dovish, and this area we're going to escalate massively. It's like, it's ridiculous. It, it was, there was no coherent policy. It was very transactional and interpersonal. And that's the reality of it. The idea that, that they're putting this veneer of he had an underlying philosophy to it. He obviously didn't. He obviously didn't. You know, massively increased the drone strikes, got rid of the rules of engagement, um, it occupied Syria and jacked their oil, uh, let Israel do whatever the hell they wanted, um, but randomly tried to make peace with North Korea. What? Uh, kept us in Iraq and Afghanistan while saying he was going to get us out, but he still kept us in. I, like, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. But he's definitely a steward of American empire. Anyway, there you have it. Fox News calling this AOC's war is that is beyond bird brain stuff. Okay, next. All right. Is a good one, if I don't say so myself. Russia's Orthodox Church leader has uh, come out, I guess, at, you know, one of his uh, church gatherings here. And he made a comment that's getting many headlines. So the Russian Orthodox Church leader, according to The Hill, says Ukraine invasion is part of struggle against, and I quote, gay parades. Gay parades. That's what Putin's invasion of Ukraine is about. Gay parades. A Russian Orthodox leader suggested last weekend that the country's invasion of Ukraine is part of an ongoing conflict to resist liberal pressure to hold gay pride parades, sparking backlash from other Orthodox churches in the region. In a sermon on Sunday, Russian Orthodox Bishop Carroll, an ally of Russian President Vladimir Putin, said that Ukraine was engaging in the extermination of Russian loyalists in the Donbass. So he's echoing um, Putin's genocide claim a breakaway Ukrainian territory held by two Russian-backed separatist groups since 2014 that is now playing a key role in Russia's strategy. Carroll made no mention of Russia's attack on civilian areas. Hmm, you don't say, the Associated Press reported. 
Carroll said that the Donbass separatists were sacrificing themselves for the fundamental rejection, as a quote, the fundamental rejection of the so-called values that are offered today by those who claim world power. Carroll further claimed that liberal forces are presenting a test for the loyalty of countries by demanding they hold gay parades and join a club of nations with different ideas of freedom, according to the AP. So think about what he's saying there. He's like, look, man, in order for Ukraine to be part of the West, the West is saying, you want to be with us, you've got to live our values. We're all economic agreements, military agreements, whatever. The only way we're going to let you roll with us is if you get some dudes out there in the street and assless chaps. If you got the assless chap dudes out there, then we welcome you in. But if you don't have the assless chap dudes out there, you don't have the rainbow flags, you don't have its raining men playing on a big-ass loudspeaker, I know what you want me to tell you. I can't let you chill with us. I can't let you be in our block. This is what this guy's saying. Carroll had previously avoided criticizing Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Wow, shocking. Uh, angering Ukrainian Orthodox churches that had remained loyal to the Orthodox leader, even with geopolitical complications in their own country. So that's interesting. So this is, it's like the Catholic Church, like the way the Catholic Church works. Um, you know, the Pope is the leader of like all Catholic churches, nominally all the various regions that have Catholicism, and, and they all sort of answer to the, to the Pope. This is, with the Russian Orthodox Church, you have, you know, in various places, they have Orthodox churches, and they're all, like, this is their leader. This is their Pope. And so now you have Ukrainian Orthodox churches that are now like, uh, 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 I know that it's supposed to be that we pretend like you're talking for God. I don't think you're talking for not God, dog. I don't think this is from God at all. I think this is from you and or Vladimir Putin. They continue, a number of these churches have now excluded Carol's name from public prayers, that's a big deal, and demanded separation from the Moscow church, the AP reported. So now you have like a breakaway from within the religion. They're like, we we can't agree with you on this, and now we want to be our own thing. The Reverend Mykola Danilevich, a spokesperson for the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, said days before Carol's most recent comments that many priests had stopped commemorating Carol in church services. Quote, and the reason is obvious. Um, He wrote before Carol's sermon this past Sunday, according to the AP, the treacherous open invasion of Ukraine is a huge mistake of Russia. People did not hear from the patriarch a clear assessment of this war and his call to stop the madness. After the religious leaders' comments last weekend, officials in the Ukrainian Orthodox Church both in the country and around the world, spoke out against the remarks, so inter-church fighting. Clergy in Lviv and Vladimir Volonskari diocese called for independence from the Russian Orthodox Church on their Facebook pages. Archbishop Daniel of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of the USA also condemned Carol's comments, calling them, quote, incomprehensible. I like this next quote. Let me read you this. Regardless of our beliefs and regardless of our stance on social and moral issues, That's him saying, I sort of agree with you that gay people are bad, but you cannot use that as a propaganda tool to justify the Russian invasion and the slaughter of innocent people. Uh, And then, of course, they have a line here about how Putin claimed, well, this is actually, what we're doing here is we're denazifying the country. That's why we're invading Ukraine. So wait, we got, reasons are all over the map now. You got 
this is all about NATO, NATO expansion. We feel under threat by the West. So we have to go in to defend ourselves. That's one line that they argue. Another line they argue is, no, 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 we're denazifying the country. There's Nazis there, and, you know, they're, they're war criminals and human rights violators, and we're going to bring in justice and order and peace and decency, so we've got to go in and denazify. We've got to kill the Nazis. That's the other thing. And now we got gay parades. they got gay parades. You know, uh, we're against that. We don't like that. So we, we have no choice. We've got to go in there. I don't know what you want me to tell you. So it's all over the place. It's all over the place. It's all over the place. Um, Maybe, maybe there are a number of factors that are legitimate, but then there are a number of ones that are just totally and utterly made up. Now, the question for this guy, and this is a question I have for you guys, too, what you think of this. Um, do you think Homeboy is like the Pat Robertson of the Russian Orthodox Church? And so he really believes this stuff that he's saying. You know, Pat Robertson, after Hurricane Katrina, famously went out there and said it's because they, you know, they have, like, gay parades. They celebrate the LGBTQ community. They can't do that. That's why God's get, getting revenge on them. That's what it is. He said that a number of times. After a number of horrific incidents, he'd go out there and like blame gay people or whatever, blame abortion. So is this guy like the Pat Robertson of the Russian Orthodox Church? He's saying this and he really believes it. Or is he just, you know, basically Putin's puppet and he's got a sweet deal cut with the Russian government, however, whatever it is, give maybe a kickback of some oil money or whatever. I don't know. And he's just trying to do the propaganda to take the blame away from Putin and the Russian government by any means necessary. And the tried and true religious move is like, just go back to the classics. Just go back to the classics. So, you know, however we can pin it on abortion or gay people or the breakup of marriages, like this is their go-to move, right? But it also shows you guys, it also shows you what? What do we say all the time about the culture war? The culture war is largely a distraction from, like, the super real-world problems. So in this instance, in the U.S., the culture war is often a distraction from the economic war, the 1% waging it on the 99%. This is the culture war distracting from the war war. So it's like, don't look at the fact that we illegally invaded a country. Don't look at the fact that we're doing imperialism. Don't look at the fact that we're trying to jack the natural gas from, uh, from Crimea, from eastern Ukraine, and from western Ukraine. Uh, don't look at any of that stuff. Don't look at any of that stuff. Gays, gay people, isn't that shit gross? Look, it's gross. Isn't it gross? What are they doing? Why are they touching each other like that? Why are they naked? Well, what's going on here? God, that's so hot. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. I don't know if he's a true believer or if he's just doing propaganda to deflect the blame from Putin. But either way, man, this stuff doesn't work anymore. You know, like maybe if you're being kind, maybe 15% of the country is like, yeah, that's it. 20% at most. But everybody's like, fuck off. I think now that we have technology, you know, we have the world is at our fingertips on a computer. And you can look stuff up. You can research stuff. You can learn about stuff. And like back in the day, yeah, somebody could say, oh, this is happening because of gays. People be like, damn, is this happening because of gays? But now you say that, and people are like, huh? My uncle's gay. He never hurt anybody. He didn't do anything wrong. What are you talking about? And, you know, another interesting point about this is a lot of, a lot of conservatives in the West love, defend Putin because they think he's standing up for Western values. But now you have this 
guy ripping Western values, like Western values of freedom and personal choice and being who you are. But I guess they flip it around and say, well, no, we don't think that's Western values. We think Western values includes being anti-gay, not pro-gay. But anyway, by the way, just for the record, and I'm sure all you guys know this anyway, Putin is massively anti-gay. And he pulled the George W. Bush trick, how George W. Bush ran like against gay marriage in 2004 or whatever it was and got some wins in the midterms. Putin uses social conservatism to try to gin up support among his base. So, you know, not only is he authoritarian in terms of media crackdowns, he's also authoritarian in terms of social issues. And, you know, they're going back to the old playbook here. Again, does this guy really believe it? Does he not really believe it? I don't know. Uh, either way, it is the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. If there was anything that this war obviously had nothing to do with, it's gayness. But the argument he's trying to make effectively is like, look at the degradation of Ukraine and the degeneracy now of Ukraine. Back when they were with us, when they were with the Russian people in the Soviet Union in particular, but back when they were with us, they were real men and women and had moral values. And that was the correct state of affairs. Ever since they, they haven't been with us, they divorced with us in the early 90s and they started going with the West. Look at what's happened. There's been a downfall of their society. So Putin's got to go, he's got to go return Ukraine to its glory where you hate gay people and shove them back in the closet. Really stupid, really dumb. Um, any sort of religious fundamentalists are a scourge and there's not much else you could say about it. All right, next. So there's been a lot of hints dropped here and there that Hillary Clinton is considering another run for president. A uh, number of articles on it. Uh, she's been reappearing and doing events now. And you, it seems like she's dipping her toe in the water, trying to get a sense of where am I at here? Because look, nobody's on the horizon. Biden's half dead. Kamala's terrible. Pete's terrible. They polled. And Kamala was 28%. Pete's like the mid 30 something percent. I think it was 38 last time I checked. Biden did get a bump since the State of the Union. He went up to 47%, at least in one poll. But, you know, she's probably looking around like, hmm, well, she was asked directly on MSNBC, are you, you know, are you considering running again? Here's her answer. Are you open to running for president again? <laughs> oh, come on. No. No. Run, no, but I'm, <laughs> well, no, but I am certainly going to be active in supporting women running for office um, and other uh, candidates uh, who I think should be reelected or elected, both women and men. All right, so there you go. She sort of laughed it off and said no. And she said it, I think she said it a number of times there. Um, I, I think I believe her. I think I believe her. You know, Crystal's theory on this all along, when the article started coming out and stuff, her theory on it all along was, that the, like, Republicans want it to be her, so they're sort of doing the, the Pied Piper theory in reverse. Remember when they did the Pied, Hillary did the Pied Piper theory because she wanted to run against Trump because she thought I'd definitely be Trump. We'll have that work out. It didn't work out at all. But I think she thinks the Republicans are doing the Pied Piper theory, the, the reverse of that, where it's like they try to puff up Hillary and make her the one because they think she's the most beatable. That was her theory that the chatter is all manufactured. My theory was more, I think that her team is dropping hints and 
So that's why people are writing the articles. And the other thing is she's been doing like events and shit. And I think the reason you get back out there and be this visible is if you have some plans. So, but based off her reaction here, I don't know. My interpretation of it is I actually believe her, but there's another reason why I'm talking about this because Hillary's also a brazen liar. So if she does actually run either in this election or the next election, well, then you know that she was just lying. <laughs> she was just completely lying to everybody here because she does sound pretty convincing. She's like, no, no, I'm not going to run again. So anyway, at least for now, good news. Take it for what it is. Take it at face value. But I'm curious what everybody else thinks about this, what your interpretation of it is. What's your interpretation of the articles that were run uh, talking about her and trying to push her out there? The fact that she's been doing events, the fact that she's been doing more interviews. Um, do you think she's at least flirting with it? I mean, that's a possibility that she, she's sort of on the fence or she's leaning in the no direction, but still just dipping her toe in the water and testing it out. Either way, this is just horse race speculation, so it's largely a waste of time. But based off the way she said it, I sort of think she's not going to run again. But we'll see. If she does, then this was just yet another of the 14,214 Hillary lies. Okay, next. All right, so um, while Russia is invading Ukraine and the world is slapping over-the-top sanctions on Russia, basically trying to implode the economy, there are other things that have been happening. Saudi unleashed some more bombs on Yemen. The U.S. actually bombed Somalia, one of the first days of Putin's invasion. Um, And other countries are sort of getting in on the madness, too. Now, Let me just throw up this article here, and and we'll start talking about it. But this is in the Daily Mail. They say, Russia encourages North Korea to resume nuclear weapon program and points out strengthening U.S.-South Korea ties as Kim Jong-un rebuilds atomic test site amid World War III fears in Europe. Wow. So, let me show you the article. Russia has praised North Korea for resuming missile tests and stirred up tensions against the West. As the imminent threat of World War III looms larger than it has in decades, Russia's foreign ministry today applauded the understandable decision to renew ballistic missile tests and added that military cooperation between the U.S. and South Korea has only increased since the tests were stopped. Ilyichov, head of the international organization's uh, division at the ministry, also said he saw no prerequisites for the resumption of denuclearization talks between Washington and Because Washington chose to sanction Pyongyang, the worrying comments come as new satellite images show Kim Jong-un has restarted construction at a nuclear testing site, which was closed in 2018. Parts of the Pyongyang-ri site were blown up after it was closed for four years, but images show repairs and new buildings at the test site amid fears by U.S. security officials that Kim wants to resume his nuclear program this year. The alliance between the two regimes come at a time of heightened global hostilities after Vladimir Putin ramped up Russia's nuclear defenses and issued dire threats of atomic destruction after his savage invasion of Ukraine. The prospect of another anti-Western tyrant armed with nuclear missiles will do little to assuage the current panic gripping the globe. Uh, So, now this is just one piece of the news. Now let me show you the next piece of it. This one is in The Independent. South Korea fires a warning shot at North Korean vessel violating maritime border. 
A North Korean patrol boat was reportedly tracking a fishing boat that also crossed the maritime border. So now you have, they fired a warning shot at them. South Korea fired a warning shot at North Korea. South Korea has uh, fired a warning shot at a North Korean patrol vessel that tried to intervene when the military seized a fishing boat. The Yonhap News Agency has reported a North Korean fishing boat crossed the maritime border between the two Koreas around 9.30 a.m. It was then seized and towed to South Korea's, I don't, I'm going to try to pronounce that, island for investigation. South Korean military fired a warning shot at a North Korean patrol boat that had briefly crossed the maritime border while tracking the fishing boat. The two countries never signed a peace treaty after their war in the 1950s, so they technically remain at war. Although the ceasefire has mostly held, there have been various moments where tensions have erupted. The maritime border is one of the most serious flashpoints for the conflict. So, you got Kim Jong-un now rebuilding nukes, or at the very least, that nuclear test site. He's working on that now. Um, You have South Korea firing a warning shot at North Korea when they crossed the maritime border. Now, if I remember correctly, I think that there were seven people that they seized, and then I think they sent them back. So thankfully, it weren't like everything sort of stepped back from the brink. And, but this could have been bad, so allow me to broadcast to the world, www.chill.com. Everybody needs to chill. Everybody needs to chill. Things are super out of hand right now. And when I saw this, I was like, oh, God, the last thing we need is the hot war to start again in Korea. And that could be devastating. If there is any sort of real fighting, Kim Jong-un could just press the button immediately and destroy Seoul. Everybody relax. Everybody relax. Everybody chill. Everybody breathe. Everybody breathe. And look, I'm going to say something else that's kind of controversial, but you guys know this has been my position for a long time. Here's how I respond to North Korea um, building nukes again or going to the test site, rebuilding the test site again. I don't care. I don't care. I think any action that South Korea or the West would take to try to get that to stop, right? I'm fine with diplomacy negotiation, whatever. That's all cool. But any sort of tit-for-tat escalation actually puts people in more danger. Because, and this is according to our own Pentagon officials that, you know, this was reported years ago, I think, in The Intercept. They're like, listen, North Korea is not really a threat to us. North Korea, more of a threat to South Korea, but still the reason why they actually want the nuclear weapons is because of deterrence. It is truly a deterrent. And We've had John Bolton said to North Korea, we're going to try to do the Libya model with you. What? The Libya model is you give us your weapons, then we topple you anyway. So they have every reason in the world to actually have a nuke so that they don't get fucked with and they don't get overthrown. And the fact of the matter is it it makes sense from from their perspective. It does. Now, North Korea is horrendous. They are a domestic menace. I mean, they have, like, concentration camps there. They are ruthlessly and viciously oppressing their own people. And there are horror stories about people escaping and what they went through. Now, you know, is some of it propaganda? I'm sure. But even if it's only 10% as bad as they say it is, it's still a nightmare over there. And we know they're super impoverished and 
they haven't modernized at all. And it's just a totalitarian, authoritarian dictatorship. It is terrible. It's terrible in every way, shape, and form. But they're a threat to their own people. And they really do want a nuclear weapon just to make sure nobody fucks with them. Because they know they're sitting ducks. They know they don't really have the ability to defend themselves if they don't have some sort of major weapons that are immediately pointing right at Seoul. So this is what I'm saying. I want everybody to chill, man. Everybody needs to relax. Everybody needs to take a couple deep breaths. We all got to start talking. We need negotiation and diplomacy. You know, that's not to say that in certain instances you can't use targeted sanctions to get some uh, desired end goals. You can and you should. But when you go too far with the sanctions or you do a tit-for-tat escalation or it gets militaristic or like in this instance, hey, we fired a warning shot. What if that hit them? Right? And then all of a sudden, are, are, does all hell break loose in South Korea and North Korea? A terrifying prospect, man, a terrifying prospect. But it does seem like everybody's sort of using the chaos of what's happening in Russia and Ukraine to fortify themselves and to get a little wacky. Everybody's sort of losing their mind a little bit. And I think Russia encouraging North Korea to do this, of course, is like, Hey, in a World War III thing, you're with us, right? It would be, you know, Russia, China. Russia, China, North Korea, maybe even the Gulf states now, Iran, maybe India. Like, they would all line up against, basically, the U.S., Europe, Australia. I mean, you could see the dividing lines already starting. South Korea, Japan would be on the U.S.'s side. It, it's just getting, it's getting crazy. I want everybody to relax. I want everybody to breathe. When I saw the headlines about shots fired, I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Can we please, for the love of God, everybody stop. Everybody just www.stop.com backslash right now. I still want a nuclear fallout bunker. I know, I'm sorry. Every segment I'm doing these days ends with, like, I want a nuclear fallout bunker. For real, though, I want one. All right. So Joe Biden is um, doubling down and tripling down on something that he said in his State of the Union address. Let me go ahead and show you. This article was in essence. President Biden urges return to office. Quote, most Americans can remove their masks, return to work, and move forward safely. The statement has been met with pushback from citizens. Let me give you some of the body of the article here. They say President Biden is reiterating his plea that Americans return to the office. Multiple corporations, including Google, Apple, and Nike, have begun to announce that they are ushering employees back into into the office after COVID-19 shutdowns began in March 2020. Biden is hoping to see this this re-entry take place on a larger scale. He spoke on this twice last week, once during his State of the Union address on March 1st and again on March 5th. The second set of remarks came on the same day that New York Mayor Eric Adams announced that the mask mandate for schools would end effective immediately, as well as vaccine requirements for indoor activities like restaurants and concert venues. Quote, because of the progress we've made in fighting COVID, Americans can not only get back to work, but they can go to the office and safely fill our great downtown cities and creating more commerce, the president said on March 5th. With 75% of adults fully vaccinated and hospitalizations down by 77%, most Americans can remove their mask, return to work, and move forward safely. This was a direct callback to statements made during his State of the Union address. So, 
you know, he said it once, I didn't think much of it, but then he said it like a second and third time, and I was like, okay, does that, like they're actually trying to force people to get back to the office. I'm sure you guys have seen the reports. There are a lot of reports out there now of people, people basically just won't stand for it anymore. Like, no, I don't, I'm not going to go to the office. I'm going to work from home, and if you don't like that, I'll find a different job. That's a common thing now. We covered the New York governor basically came out and said, look, it's, it's never going to be like it was. You know, like maybe you work two, two days in the office or three, but you're going to have maybe two or three at home. Like this is what people are sort of demanding. Now, there are some people who are office people, and they're super extroverted, and they want to be at the office, and they want to be around people all the time like that. But then there are plenty of people who aren't like that. They'd rather be home, and they'd rather be with the kids, and they'd rather be with their spouse. And, you know, they, they like the idea of staying in your pajamas until 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, I think the trend is a lot of people want to work from home. They want to work remotely. Uh, and also now, the other thing is with the gas prices now as high as they are, a lot of people probably can't even afford to get to the office. With everything that's happening with Russia and Saudi Arabia, you know, that's a practical consideration now. But here's the real reason why I think they're pushing it so hard. Here's the real reason. And I saw this on Twitter. I forget who said it, but it was a brilliant point. It's about the commercial real estate bubble. Oh, that's it. That's what it is. Commercial real estate bubble. So they're afraid that bubble is going to burst. And when that bubble bursts, that's pain, son. That is, again, there's a million things that could cause our next great recession and or depression, but that could be the thing. Because it is way overinflated. Absolutely. I mean, regular real estate is super overinflated too. The bubble was just reinflated after the last crash in 2008. They had Wall Street come in and buy up all these houses and rent them back at absurdly high prices. Um, it doesn't reflect, like, it's not a good reflection of where we're at economically. People's wages have been largely stagnant, and then you got this housing prices that keep rising and rising and rising and rising. You have the, um, Richard Wolf says the inflation is in stuff like real estate, and it's in, like, the stock market. That's where inflation has mostly been up to this point. So if that bubble bursts, that commercial real estate bubble bursts, that's terrible. And with the pandemic, now, in theory, we're saying it's done, even though there's still like over a thousand deaths a day. But the way everybody's acting now is if it's done, they're trying to like get people to go back. And a lot of people are resistant. The economy is just fundamentally changing and that commercial real estate bubble can pop. And that's like a whole new world type stuff, man. So I think that's what they're afraid of. I think they are hearing from experts or see some signs that, uh-oh, that could go. And so I think that's why they're pushing it. I mean, also there's the obvious thing of like they want to be able to control. They want the CEOs, the bosses, the managers, they want them to have more direct control over the workers at their work life. Um, but I don't think that's the primary thing. I think for maybe the, the individual businesses and corporations, they want that. But for the government, for the federal government, I think it's concerned about the commercial real estate bubble. So I don't know, but... I think hopefully the economy has just changed now and people do get to work from home. Anything that gives workers more independence, autonomy, freedom, I'm in favor of. And, you know, I love unions for that reason. Uh, I love paid vacation time by law. I would love a four-day work week. Working from home at least half the time is something that, you know, people I think should be able to do. So, Hopefully it changed. I don't know. They're trying really hard to force people back to work, and we'll see how that ends up. 
Okay. All right. Let me give you the final story of the day. Final story of the day. The website Sludge, which tracks uh, political corruption, did some great work here, and I want to show you what they said. New, the leading stock trading ban proposals in Congress would allow senators and representatives to trade industry funds composed of bundles of corporate stocks. So that's a massive loophole. They say the bills would stop members of Congress from trading a stock like ExxonMobil, but they would allow them to buy and sell something like this Energy Select Sector SPDR fund composed of shares in ExxonMobil, Chevron, uh, ConocoPhillips, ConocoPhillips, and other oil companies. This is amazing. So the bills that have the most backing, there's a number of bills on you know, a stock trading ban for Congress that are currently floating around. The ones that have the most backing are ones that have this colossal loophole. So, yeah, you can't go directly to a single stock and say, I'm going to buy this stock. But you can get entire like sectors or industries. Say, I'm going to buy in energy or I'm going to buy in defense or whatever. And then you can, instead of buying one individual stock for like defense contractors, for example, you don't just get the Honeywell stock. You get a package of like Honeywell, Boeing, Raytheon, KBR, etc. This isn't a solution. Like you're not, this isn't a solution. This is a virtue signal. This is window dressing. This is like, let's not address the problem at all while pretending we're addressing the problem. And that's honestly even worse. It's even worse because it takes the air out of the tires of the movement to do something about this. If the thing that you're doing about this doesn't actually do anything about it, and now nobody's even talking about doing anything else because you fooled everybody into thinking you did something, that's criminal, literally criminal in this instance. So uh, they, also, they go on to say this, because you might think, well, hold on, how many, but how many people actually invest like that? Well, as of right now, members of Congress invest in similar exchange-traded funds focused on industries including healthcare, finance, technology, utilities, consumer staples, communication services, and other sectors. This is in the article. Sludge found in the Business Insider data, when they did a whole expose on this, at least 31 House members hold investments in industry-specific exchange-traded funds worth as much as a combined more than $7.9 million. In many cases, these sector fund investments appear to, be, appear to pose conflicts with their owners' committee positions. For example, Representative Peter Welch has up to $250,000 in the technology select sector fund uh, that is comprised of Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and more, while sitting on the communications and technology committee. So they're already doing this, and the bills that are floating around don't address this. Actually, to be fair, one of them does address it. Every other version of the bill has this loophole. The one that doesn't is the Elizabeth Warren Pramila Jayapal bill, which closes this loophole. But that one has, like, the least co-sponsors of all of them. It's a ruse, guys. It's a ruse. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of all, the, all those bills about, like, we need to bring transparency to how our politics are funded. Transparency. So instead of ending the corruption, they're just going to show you the specifics of the corruption and act like that's heroic or something, and that solves the problem. It doesn't solve the problem. It just shines a light on the problem, gives us more information about it, while still This is a very similar thing. 
in name, we're going to ban stock trading for Congress, but in reality, it's only certain kinds of stock trading. So they could trade in these other ways, which are just as corrupt. You wonder why people despise these guys. Because then, listen, do some of these Congress people mean well? And they might not even know that this particular stock trading ban isn't really all-encompassing and leaves massive loopholes? Maybe, maybe. But my guess is a lot of them know about the loophole, and that's why they support the versions of the bill that they do, and they do not support the Warren-Jayapal bill. I hate these people. I hate them so much. The system is so damn broken. It is fundamentally broken. That's the problem. It is structurally broken. Because it's not even really an issue about the individuals who are there. It's about the way the system functions. You will never get good outcomes, ever, ever. So this is one of those stories that's full. It just, it's so dark. It's so nihilistic, isn't it? Because even when they're pretending to address a problem, they're not. They're leaving a loophole so big that we don't really fix anything. And again, it might even be worse than that because if they do, if they pass this and then they brag about it, people will go, yay, Congress can't buy stocks anymore. But so all the energy behind the movement is gone with the fundamental problem not even being addressed because they could still do this. Sludge, phenomenal reporting. Thank you guys so much. I mean, really the only thing we can do and we should do in, in a circumstance like this is just to try to prod all of the congresspeople and senators you have to support the Warren Jayapal version. The other ones are total trash. And then, look, also, we probably got to go through, Sludge has to go through that bill with a fine-tooth comb, too, and find, see if maybe there are loopholes in that one, too. We don't know. But anyway, there you have it. Only one version of the bill is decent. The ones that have the most uh, support are not, and they're honestly a colossal joke. All right, guys, we are done. I love you, baby. Everybody have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon. Peace. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.